pandemics, global supply chain issues, cyberware attacks, inflation, the big quit. The list of disruptions goes on and on. We're living in a different world. It's more complex and moving faster than ever. This podcast is to help guide you through these turbulent times to ensure your organization can survive and thrive by becoming disruption proof. I'm Brent Cooper. I'm founder and CEO of Moves the Needle. One of the things that we do is help organizations use rapid experimentation and other exploration principles to overcome uncertainty wherever it exists inside the organization. And so we're focusing this uh, this month specifically on uh, rapid experimentation. So rapid experiments. So we're running, a, I always use square, scare quotes when I say that we're running a scientific, scare quotes, scientific experiment to test an assumption. And we're running a series of experiments to validate or invalidate an idea. And I use the scare quotes because, uh, because it's, it's, we're, we're using the scientific model, but it's not as pure as science where there's a lot of effort, uh, in reducing the number of variables, holding things constant so that you can be sure to test only one variable. And when we're, when we're thinking about the uncertainty that we face in business, it's really not possible to test only one variable, especially when we're getting to things like, do customers want my product and or will they download an app or will they do this or will they, there's just too many variables for us to, to truly say that, you know, we're, we're holding all these other things. It's why, it's why economists will always be social scientists and not real scientists. There's too many variables. And so we should be careful. We always have to be a little bit careful about the conclusions that we're drawing. Um, and you know, it, it's, uh, if we really want to get towards, uh, accuracy, you know, then we have to start getting into statistical significance and all of those type of things, which is all good, but, um, but it's not possible when we're first getting started around testing an idea. So we want to keep it, we want to keep it simple here. We want to ge generate evidence for our idea. And that's really the purpose of rapid experimentation. And so experiments are, are really the heart of science. You, you wish to explain a set of facts or you have an idea about how something can be created that will do something specific and it can be used in specific ways. And so you create hypotheses, or if you're really sophisticated, you'll maybe create null hypotheses and then run experiments to validate or invalidate these assumptions. And so obviously a, a business is quite similar. Uh, we just usually don't use the rigor of the scientific method to get rid of our assumptions. So a, a new business idea is really a theory. We believe our product will be bought by enough customers to support a growing business. But the theory has lots and lots of assumptions built into it. And some assumptions have evidence, evidence to the point of even being facts. So there are 8 billion people on the planet. That's a fact. 6.2 billion have smartphones. 
if you trust the research, that's a fact. I'm going to call that a fact. Some companies make billions of dollars leveraging smartphones. That's a fact. So in our, in our corporates and I guess startups, you know, seeking investment, the same thing happens. You know, we create a business case and the business case typically starts with facts. But then we wildly extrapolate from the facts to create unproven assumptions that are sort of hidden and often disguised as facts. So we'll start with our, our target market. You know, conservatively, we can sell our app to nearly 1% of the world's population for only $1 a month. And so we're predicting our ARR, our recurring annual revenue will be $830 million. So that's a pretty obvious investment, right? And so we start with these facts, but then quickly we're, we're sliding into what we're doing with those facts, which are based upon assumptions without evidence. And so this is what we're, this is what scientists do is they're looking at a lack of evidence for a particular idea and they're running experiments to try to come up with evidence that will move that assumption more towards facts. And so you're testing a population over here that's, uh, that incorporates the assumption and then a population over there that doesn't incorporate the assumption and are you, you're looking for the variability between those two pools to determine whether the assumption is is correct or not. So, uh, so that's the nature of rapid experimentation. We're, we're out to expose and test those assumptions. And ideally then that's what informs our business case and that informs our strategy and that informs our go-to-market plans and our product development and all those type of things. We're, we're doing those hopefully based upon evidence now instead of all of these assumptions. So the, the, again, the idea is that experiments were generating evidence to move assumptions towards facts. And the idea of running experiments in business has, it's been around, they've been around forever. Uh, so when Zappos first got started, the founder put up a website with pictures of shoes that, that he had taken in a shoe store that was down the street. But he didn't build out all of that functionality of the website. He just wanted to see if people would choose a pair of shoes and buy it. And, and I guess that actually happened. And he would go down to the shoe store and buy the shoes and then ship them off to the, ship them off to the buyer. And there's a, there's a guy here in Southern California that did that with automobiles. So you can imagine you don't want to fake that too long because that going down to the car lot and buying a car and shipping it to the customer is kind of a, is kind of a big deal. Uh, and it's kind of funny, like they, even the, there's a story that about the first popular personal computer when it first appeared on the popular electronics magazine, that was actually a fake computer there had only been one built and it got lost on a train in a freight, a freight train that was going from the, 
the original developer to Popular Electronics. So they mocked up a, a, a personal computer and put it on top of Popular Electronics. And that is widely credited with making PCs uh, popular at that time, um, like really started the momentum into, into more beyond, I guess, the, the innovators in the lifecycle adoption curve and towards the early adopters. The story actually also goes that um, the Bill Gates saw that and then called the developer and said, hey, I've got, I created an operating system for that. And the founder is all like, the developer was like, no, that's not impossible because the only one that works is sitting here at my desk. So they're both actually doing what are called smoke tests in the sense that you, you sort of fake it. And then when people buy it, you're proving its viability. So running experiments has been around forever uh, in business. I think that uh, Tim Ferriss really populated, popularized the idea of running landing pages to test and ideas. And that was, you know, close to the time that Eric Ries was blogging about Lean Startup. And I think his book, The Lean Startup, is really what started the idea of uni using running, you know, running experiments in a more scientific way and in a purposeful, disciplined way to reduce the uncertainty of of a product idea. And, and he used that in his startup, IMBU. Uh, and so he was mostly product focused and, you know, hence the, he was using the word MVP to describe those Eric's, those experiments. And then in my book, Lean Entrepreneur, what I was really sort of emphasizing is running experiments, not only for products, but all across the business model. Um, since assumptions and uncertainty exist everywhere across the business model. And so I think that that's still actually lacking a little bit in business is people now separating out, okay, here, we, we agree there's uncertainty over here in the product side, um, but, you know, once we've proven that, we can just hand it over to marketing and sales and operations and facilities and supply chain and all of those type of things. That's all well known. So we don't have to run experiments on that or even the pricing model or how you're going to distribute the product. And it's way safer to start with the idea that all of those are assumptions and they are assumptions. They're just, again, they're assumptions with varying degrees of evidence that support them. And so, uh, so when I'm talking about rapid experimentation, you want to think about experimentation in terms of uncertainty. Where is there uncertainty anywhere in your business or anywhere in the teams that you manage or anywhere even in your own uh, life maybe, but professional life we'll, we'll stick with here. And so uncertainty can be big or small. So not just in terms of how much evidence there are, but sort of how much impact you're, you're really, like how important is it in your job or in your business? So I was at, uh, I was in Portugal last week and did a presentation to some corporate innovators there. And I was trying to get the leaders to think about where is their uncertainty that they face on a daily basis and how can they spin up a team to reduce that uncertainty through developing empathy for stakeholders and running experiments and generating this evidence for how to solve for that uncertainty. 
And as being innovators, they immediately, their minds went to all of the big things like, oh, should we, should we be using artificial intelligence in our products? And, uh, you know, how do we, how do we solve for, uh, employee retention actually is a big one everywhere. And that, and that's sort of a big idea inside of a company and that's great. So that's identifying that sort of uncertainty, but it can also be things that are not, uh, not sort of the big questions that you're facing. There's small amounts of uncertainty that still take up your, your mind share and take up your time. And so it could be, how do we improve customer engagement? How do we improve, uh, employee engagement? Um, so it could be both external. How do we launch a new product in Australia? Or it could be internal. How do we make these two groups of, of people, uh, uh, two teams interact better? Um, we once did a workshop because a design group was not, was not efficiently interacting with the manufacturing team after the company had invested in all of this sort of digital transformation equipment. Uh, and a matter of fact, in Portugal, I ran across that again. It's like the, a business there that was doing this internal digital transformation. So creating tools, buying some off the shelf, but integrating them and rolling them out to, uh, rolling it out to the company. And they were really struggling with uh, getting adoption and getting, uh, and, and making sure that the proper business rules and business processes were, were incorporated into the, into the effort. And so again, all of those things represent uncertainty. If you phrased it correctly, how do we incorporate business rules in this uh, new application that we're developing? How do we, uh, how do we improve employee engagement in the new Salesforce automation tool that we're rolling out And back in my IT days, uh, I must have lived through and actually managed two or three failed implementation of CRMs or Salesforce automation tools. I mean, it's amazing, amazingly difficult implementing new tools inside of a business, let alone trying to sell them to uh, customers. Um, so we might have uncertainty around growth, like, how do we go after a particular market adjacency or they, it could be efficiency related. How do we make our supply chains more resilient? So part of the, I think our goal is as leaders is to, is to establish where there's uncertainty inside your own job or inside your organization beyond just the innovation group or beyond just the product group. And this is where, uh, I think that we, we expand this idea of exploration, exploring the core in the core is what I talk call it. And I think that in this era of digital transformation, that's what we really see is that this uncertainty exists everywhere. And so we can't just keep, you know, sort of the human centered design in the product team. We can't just keep, you know, business model experiments in the innovation group. It's really the entire business that needs to learn these skills. And it's not that they all learn it to the same degree, um, but it's applying some discipline to overcoming the uncertainty in all aspects of our business. Um, 
And again, I, I say this all the time. I'm not sure it's caught yet, but uh, exploration increases the efficiency of execution. Right? So if, if, if there's uncertainty in what we're doing, we're not getting to the desired outcome as quickly as we could if we reduce that uncertainty. So this team that I was talking about in Portugal had rolled out these products and they, it was an utter failure. And so they literally started over. I'm sure they leveraged some of what they did, but they, they started the project over. And still, the IT guy in the little workshop that we did said, we don't have time to do the exploration. And I pointed out that, well, if you don't do the proper exploration and you roll this out again and you fail again, that's incredible amount of waste of time. So you either put the time in now and get to the desired outcome more efficiently, or you attempt to execute through the uncertainty and it leads to failures and it leads that you're doing a bunch of things, business activities that didn't work. And so that represents a waste of that time. And so it's quote unquote, not lean then, right? So we want to establish that we can we can identify the uncertainty up front. We we understand the degree of uncertainty, and then we can make a, a rational decision about whether we should reduce that uncertainty or not. And yeah, it takes time up front, but it it gets us. So it you know, if we're measured by are we on time and under budget, then yep, you don't have time to do the exploration work. But if we're going to measure whether we've achieved our desired outcomes, then we can't just execute because then we are wasting all of the time because it fails. So what we have now and occurs, I was working with this insurance company in, in Malaysia and the, and you know, the leadership team was exasperated because most of their projects were not achieving their desired outcomes. And so after a while, you get tired of that, right? I mean, it, it leads to poor company performance. And what's ironic is the way we measure efficiency, it could be that everything appears efficient. We're on time under budget. We developed what we were supposed to develop. We did it, the, it, it works. I can watch the customers use it when, I'm, when they come in and I do some usability testing. But in the end, it's not adopted or it doesn't have the desired outcome or there's other factors that are preventing the organization from getting to that desired outcome. It's all pure waste. And so, you know, efficiency is not simply how much output we get per input. Efficiency should be measured based upon given a certain input, are we getting the outcome we want? So uh, just a word on MVPs. I've, I've seen several uh, articles, blog posts about this over the last couple of months. And uh, minimum viable product. So MVPs, that term has existed, I don't know, 
20 years before uh, Eric Reese wrote about it. Eric Reese defined it in some places where an MVP is pretty much any experiment where you get learning. And that's like way too vague in my book. And it's not the original definition of MVP. And, and so I've, I've seen these blog posts <laughs> where they're like, oh, everybody's doing MVPs wrong because uh, it's not about actually producing a product. It's about producing an experiment that you learn from. And it's like, that's not how I view it. It's not in my book. It's not the original definition. MVP, again, it stands for minimum viable product. Each one of those words has a meaning and we really confuse things when we change the meaning of words so that people can't look at a phrase like a minimum viable product and go off and think about it as being a product. They have to suddenly think about it in some other way. A landing page is an MVP. I don't buy that. I, MD, a landing page is not an MVP. Landing page is an experiment. See if your messaging is right. That's all it is, right? I mean, if you are seeking the right audience and you're making them interested in your idea, then you're not testing the product. You're testing an idea. You're testing how you articulate the idea. And so I save MVP for uh, the minimum version of a product that makes that product viable. And, you know, viable, I guess, can mean a bunch of different things. But to me, it speaks to the business model as well as whether people will use the product. Um, though I do think, you know, design thinking introduced the concept of desirability, viability, and feasibility. And I think that's super helpful. Desirability being that the user or the customer or the user and the customer uh, have a need that's being addressed. And so they want the product at some level Viability is that uh, you can sell the product to enough people at the right cost that it makes the business for that product viable. And uh, feasibility means that you technically can produce th the product. And so like in my book, minimum viable product has included all of those things. Um, but I also think that breaking them out as, uh, as the Kelly brothers IDO did with um, design thinking, desirability, viability, and feasibility. I think that's super helpful. Um, but so it's important to understand that not all, in my book, both literally and figuratively, not all, all experiments are MVPs, but all MVPs are experiments. So it's, it's an experiment with a high degree of uh, fidelity. You're actually getting the product, you've built stuff, and you're testing now, do I have enough that this is viable? In, in my book, you want to undershoot a little bit before you overshoot. If you undershoot and you're co-developing with uh, a customer group, then you're really learning about what the core value is that you're providing. What are the features that are real, the functionality that's really needed? As opposed to if you overshoot, then you're already kind of building fluff into the product that, and you don't know if it's needed or not. Um, I also, you know, there's the famous Reed Hoffman quote about, you know, if you're not embarrassed by your, your product, you've launched too late. And I, you know, I don't agree with that one either. Uh, especially corporates that have existing 
customer bases. Yeah, you don't you can't throw stuff out there that's embarrassing. Uh, that's not viable, and so it's not a, not an MVP. Um, and so it's important to understand that when you're in the MVP phase, you're not testing with the big, broad, wide market. You haven't launched. What you're doing is you're testing with you know, smaller cohorts of people, preferably people that know that they're actually looking at early versions or whatever. So that's that's how you start going down the path of increasing the fidelity of the MVP and you're making it available to wider groups of people. But you're, you're not starting with a big launch with a, a, a product that you don't know is viable. Um, and so I think that's an important distinction. And I guess I think in the end, uh, because there's different schools of thought out there about this, what's important is your organization understands it in the same way. And so like the word innovation, uh, last month's topic uh, where I discussed the need and how to actually define innovation for your organization, the same thing is with all of these type of frameworks and terms is you put a stake in the ground about what it means and you're sharing that with others so that you like if everybody wants to use Eric Reese's definition of MPP, fine, but just make sure that everybody is understands that what's that's what's been decided, or else you have people talking past each other, and 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 that's the bigger problem, not you know sort of the semantics involved. So that's enough about the MVPs. You know, happy to answer more questions about that if you have them. Um, but let's dive into how to do the rapid experimentation. So. Again, we're starting with a challenge that represents uncertainty. I'm not going to make the assumption that what you're trying to do is, is uh, validate uh, assumptions around a new product. Certainly that counts, but it could be, again, should we be using AI to increase our internal efficiency? Okay, we don't know the answer to that. We, we can run some experiments to figure it out. How do we reduce our co manufacturing costs? Uh, can we better serve our customers with new tech like AI? How do we find new customers? How do we launch our product in Australia? How can we increase customer satisfaction or loyalty? How do we improve employee retention? How do we improve our sustainability? How do we improve our diversity in hiring? How do we get the design team to work better with manufacturing? How do we improve uh, the development and launch of internal software systems? So all of these things that I've sort of been talking about that represents uncertainty. And so we can, we can uh, run experiments to, to test that. So we're starting with that challenge that represents uncertainty. And then what we want to do is define what our assumptions. So what must be true for this idea to be desirable, viable, and feasible? And so you start off as a, a brainstorming exercise and you can state, you want to state these as facts and you can, you don't, when you, when you're doing this exercise, you don't want to edit yourself or don't do it as a team exercise at first, do it as individuals. Everybody is writing their own assumptions out. And so you don't want to edit based upon the level of evidence. Just get them all out. Again, you know, we can get budget for this project. Our boss will let us do X, Y, Z. Uh, our customer is, is uh, 
Our ideal customer is someone who, with a genetic disposition for diabetes too, who's willing to alter their diet and lifestyle to avoid disease. All right, that's pretty specific. That's a great, that's a great assumption. The, that customer has a specific need. They wish to maintain their health. The customer can be reached by email. Customer has a smartphone. Customer will download our app. Customer will pay $9 a month for the app. Customer has a regular doctor that they see. Customer exercises regularly. Customer will take time to use my app on a daily basis. Customer will change their behavior based upon what's in the app. You can probably think of a, a hundred more, but that's the, we wanna get them all out. What must be true for the idea to be desirable, viable, and feasible? We can build the app. We can leverage AI to extract diabetes to uh, the best practices to avoid diabetes too, from all of the scientific literature. So then what we want to do is go through a team episode of maybe combining assumptions that are similar, and then we want to rank them. So uh, our rapid experiment loop includes a two by two on it. I think we were like the first that, that did this, but it's now, I think, in, in David Bland's excellent book on rapid experiments. Um, but we have a two by two, that, this, uh, the tool will be available for download. Uh, but so what you're ranking now is, is vertically, how crucial is this particular assumption? And then horizontally known versus unknown. So I, we put crucial at the top, less crucial is at the bottom. And then over to the left is known. We know we have evidence for this particular assumption and over to the right is unknown. So, when you're thinking about how crucial an assumption is, you, you're, you're getting a, you want a feeling for how important is this for this to succeed? Are there other, are there other assumptions that are dependent upon this one? And so if people are not willing to uh, change their behavior, then maybe that's our fundamental idea of developing this app, uh, the willingness, the ability for people to change their behavior becomes one of the most crucial assumptions. And so that would go towards the top. And then left versus right, known versus unknown. Again, it's the evidence. If you can go to somebody inside your company and they have the expertise and they say, listen, AI can definitely extract this sort of data from uh, scientific literature, there's a whole application that does that, we can use their API, we can get that information. So that goes over onto the known side. You don't have to run an experiment for things that attend towards the known side. On the other hand, will people generally download an app? That's totally known. Will they download our app? Well, that's kind of towards the unknown. We don't really know. So we can run experiments, to try to figure out if they would and how do we get them to do that.
where we can test whether our particular market segment, these uh, professionals with the uh, tendency to, to diabetes too, do they, do they download apps? Yeah, that's probably pretty well known. Um, but if you're not confident in it, then you run an experiment, figure it out. Will that particular customer segment change their behavior? Again, I'm gonna say that's pretty unknown. And so your riskiest assumptions end up appearing in the upper right quadrant. And, uh, and that's, they're the most crucial and the most unknown. And so that's really what we, what we want to test. So imagine we're putting in the upper right customers willing to change their lifestyle. So now we can state this as a hypothesis. And if we're, we're, if we take sort of a step back, we can actually even say, you know, if we build this app, this specific customer cohort will use the app to help change their diet and their exercise and they'll exercise more. But when we're running a rapid experiment, what we want to do is we don't want to build the whole app. We want to test whether we should take the time and money to build the app. And this is why the word lean and lean startup or lean innovation is about reducing waste. And so what we want to do is run an experiment uh, that indicates people in this case will be willing to change their behavior. So we might say as the hypothesis, if we do X and you have to fill in X, Y percentage of specific, the specific customer segment. So we're defining that these professionals with the propensity of, of type two diabetes will behave in way Z. So X is what we're going to do as a business, the experiment that we're going to run. Y percentage of specific customers. Y is our stake in the ground about how many, what this percentage of, of these type of specific customers that we reach out to will be willing to behave in a particular way, way Z that indicates whether they're willing to change their behavior. And so when we're designing this experiment, we need to test this willingness to change their behavior. So that's the Z. So if we do X, Y percentage of customers will behave in way Z. So we got to design an experiment that tests the Z, their willingness to change. And, and what we want to do is build, we want to design an experiment that is essentially a proxy for building the app. And so what we have to do is we, 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 when we're designing the experiment, how are we going to go find the right cohort of customers? That's really kind of an experiment in itself, perhaps, is what is the right messaging or where do these customers aggregate, congregate so that we can reach a, 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 a tranche of these type of customers? And then what can we provide them? That's the business activity. What can we do with them? Uh, that has a particular call to action, right? So we need them to take an action. And so we run that experiment. And so, you know, you, you think as broadly as possible again about what that experiment could be. If you wanted to test the messaging, you could literally do the, the landing page. And maybe you're running Google AdWords or Facebook AdWords where you're able to target the audience a little bit. Or maybe you're sharing the, the URL to that landing page in a specific uh, forum that discusses these things online. Or uh, 
a group in LinkedIn or whatever it is, you have to figure out where can I reach this tranche of users. I share that URL and now I'm just testing whether there's people out there that are interested in my idea. And then once you've got that group of users, now you have sort of this captured audience and you can start increasing the fidelity of the experiment. So now I want to get them to change their behavior. Well, so what's a, what's a way that I can, I can tell them to do something and I'm going to, and they're going to get value from it to a, to a degree that they're willing to, to change this behavior. Uh, so, you know, there's, if, if you, if you think about pop-up stores, pop-up stores are often experiments where they, in the moment they give, they try to get the customer to behave in a particular way. I think it was Best Buy was giving out a, uh, some sort of a $5 gift card if they, if they, and they wanted to see if they would go inside the store and use it. Um, Intuit has run an experiment before where people actually started pulling money out of their wallet in order to get a, uh, a data that the small business owner thought would be valuable. Um, uh, you know, we've, we've seen surgeons put their hands in, in a box that represented uh, a way to uh, sanitize their hands versus standing at a sink. Um, so it's just, this gets to this point of inspiration and creativity to try to find a proxy for, for that behavior. Uh, there's some, we've run these experiments before where we're trying to get some fun ideas in order to teach leaders about how this sort of works, where they'll go to a, a, a metro station close by and see if they can get people to take the stairs instead of the escalator. So that's like a, a change of behavior and, and you're trying to figure out what's the, what's the hook that will get them to do that. Or the fact that they're just willing to change their behavior at all in that moment. So instead of developing a whole app, you don't really want to reward people, like give them money or something, because that's, that's not really a proxy for a permanent change in their behavior. Um, but there are ways without developing an app to invite a group into, into your domain, into like a, I mean, it could be a, like a Slack channel or a website or a forum or something like this, where you get them to then take a behavior in order to get the, the, the value that you're, you're offering them. So there's a bunch of, you know, standard experiments. Landing page was one of them. The Intuit example I gave was sort of known as a dry wallet. Uh, there's what's called the, the concierge, uh, experiment and, and, you know, this is, this is maybe even an MVP, I guess, because 
the concierge, you're actually providing the same value that a product would provide. You're just doing it in person versus a uh, developing a product. So in some ways, that's an MVP. It's almost like a minimum viable service. And then if you can, then you start testing whether there's ways to automate that service such that it be, that it that it becomes a product. Um, but I've always contended, really, if people are not willing to change their behavior when you're offering it to them as a service, why would they change their behavior if you're offering it to them as a product? And that's a leap entrepreneurs and, and corporate innovators go past all the time. Like, oh, we'll, we'll build a product that does this. But if people are not willing to do it without the product, I'm not sure why they would be willing to do it with a product, unless it has something to do with, um, I guess, perceiving themselves or embarrassment or some of these things that they don't want to make uh, public. So I guess there's some, some areas there. Uh, there's the mechanical Turk or the Wizard of Oz experiment where people think that they're interacting actually with a product, with a technology. Um, but it's, again, it's sort of done by hand behind the scenes. So that was the, the Zappos example. Uh, so there's a bunch of places that talk about this. We've got all of those on our website as well, as well as they've been written about as a, a gazillion times. Um, we can provide those resources if you want to read them. But so there's a bunch of these standard experiments that can use, you can use, but at its heart, it really comes down to your own sort of creativity, thinking about the, the proxy to get people to behave in a particular way that validates or invalidates a specific assumption. And again, if you attended my value stream talk a couple of months ago, the, the purpose of the value stream, which is seven states, a, a customer or any sort of beneficiary of whatever project you're working on, goes through seven states from becoming aware to becoming passionate about what it is that you're doing. And that value stream discovery loop is a way for you to figure out what experiments you should be running all across the business in all phases of the business, to be honest. Like if you're always looking for new growth, there's always new experiments to be running. Or it could be that you've got a product out there and you need to increase engagement. And so that's that becomes these product experiments that you're running. Um, sometimes they can be as simple as split testing where you're testing two versions of a page or, or part of the application. Um, but there's still all of these more sophisticated ways of, of developing an experiment that gives you evidence around um, that behavior change. And you're building a business case. If you're building a business case, whether you're a startup entrepreneur or a corporate person, you're, you're, the business case now is based upon evidence, not a base about you know, extrapolating you know, facts into pure fantasy. Um, and so now if you go present evidence in number one, you're way more likely to get investment, but also if you don't, you're still being told sort of what the level of evidence that you will need in order to get that, that evidence. And so it doesn't really, it doesn't really help you to make up that evidence uh, because that stuff falls apart very quickly. Because um, eventually you're going to have to start showing the real numbers. You got to show your work. And eventually it has to lead to revenue. And so if you're faking it, you're going to run into, uh, you're going to run into some serious obstacles. 
And, and, and again, it leads to waste because it means that you've built a bunch of stuff or you've done a bunch of stuff that eventually doesn't work. That again, represents a lot of waste. So after you've run the experiment, you're looking at the results, obviously, but that's not enough. You actually have to seek why. So you have to ask at least a subset of the customers, why did they behave in the way they did? Um, and what you're looking for here are insights. Where were you wrong or were they not the right customer? Or you know, what tweaks can you make that would actually uh, have worked better? And then you can run the experiment again. So you're making a decision based upon this evidence um, those insights should lead you to better experiments and better, eventually better solutions. And it really becomes your competitive advantage if you're doing it on a product and it gets you towards this efficiency that you're looking for if you're doing that on internal issues or internal processes. And eventually you're looking at the making a decision about whether you're going to persevere, which means I'm going to go on to my next risky assumption, pulling from that upper right quadrant, or you might be pivoting, so you're convinced that that was actually fundamentally wrong, and now I have to change something about my idea in order to uh, in order to succeed. Or, of course, you can kill the idea, or you're iterating. You don't have enough. You don't have a clear picture one way or the other. You the you need to increase the fidelity of the experiment, so you need to change the way you're doing the experiment. It could be that you need more people uh, in your in your test sample. Um, but, but again, we're, we're, we're reaching a point here where the, as a team, we can decide what we're doing next based upon the evidence rather than, you know, whoever wins an argument or who is more convincing or who has the best idea. Um, and so we really want to be able to leverage the evidence to, to, uh, to make our decisions and also then to convince stakeholders that, that you're, you're making your decisions based upon evidence and that if they disagree that they the leaders need to really come with their own evidence or the degree of evidence that that will convince them thank you for listening to the disruption proof podcast my mission is to help as many business leaders and startup founders as i can grapple with the increased complexity and uncertainty in the business world it would mean a lot to me if you could please leave a review of the show and share it with friends and colleagues Wishing you all the best and remember, be kind first.